It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. I'm Neil McCready, joined by Chris Landry. As always, it's Friday, September the 11th. Which is always Chris a day that when you uh, when you, you say those you say those words together September and eleven you, we always go back to the same place at least I do I know you probably do as well it's uh, personally I think it should be a national day of mourning I've always thought that I think it should be um, but it is recognized and it's talked about and uh, if you're out there and you were uh, one of those that was personally impacted by nine eleven we issue our condolences today and. Uh, I know that some people have probably moved on and forgotten. Others of us have not. I remember that day vividly. I remember everything about it. I'm sure you do too. And uh, it's one of those, one of those kind of, not kind of one of those those incredibly sobering days as an American. Really was. Um, first thing comes to mind is how vivid, and it was 19 years ago. Uh, yeah. I just, I just can't. In that something that feels, I guess, because it is so vivid for all of us that live through it. Um, I think about the people that I talk with and are around sometimes that weren't even alive at the time or too young to remember. And yet it was so vivid and what it meant. Um, I can remember that day. I can I tell you how vivid I can remember watching what film I was watching. I was watching film literally. I mean, I just, I mean, I can tell you what at point in the game, I mean, things that I, I would never remember everything. And then I can tell you where I that, was in the story that I was writing that morning. And when that, when it happened, literally that was the end of the film for that day. There was everything else was in, and when I resumed it, I tried to resume it the next day. I find myself not being able to, um, I mean, I was seeing the play over and over and who I'm looking at. And what, I mean, I just had no, and no semblance of trying to figure out, uh, what, uh, you know, what is, is, is going with, with this whole world. And, and yet we've been through an awful lot. And so, yeah, day of remembrance and, um, it, certainly remember how things unfolded that day and yeah so we that tuesday september 11th 2001 will something we will uh we will never forget those of us and uh but you know certainly we are uh interesting as we get uh, as we kind of started the football season at that time and how it kind of had such an effect on the season yeah now 19 years later completely different problems in the world still yeah. people reacting um but you know, in some ways, Neil, it may be worse because there was a unifying part of that time. Now it's is as divisive as it's been. But anyway, we're excited to talk football with you and give you a little bit of respite from, you know, what is stuff. But but I appreciate you bringing it up because it was on my mind today. And I, I, I probably wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm glad you did that. We want to remember everyone. Um, that was fallen, and we still remember you. I remember ago. two things about that. Before we get into it, we're going to preview the SEC East today. The two things that I remember the most about that time, I remember that morning I was working on a story. You're, you're there in around Baton Rouge, I believe, right now. And um, I was working on a story about Reggie Torber, uh, the, uh, at the time, freshman defensive end at Auburn. I was covering Auburn. I was still in Auburn. I'd gone up to Auburn on the Friday before. 
and uh, Auburn had beaten Ole Miss on that Saturday. Pretty good game there on the Plains. And I had stayed. We had had uh, our first child, Campbell, who's now 19. And uh, <laughs> she was, I know you crazy. She was, she was just an infant. And my goal that day, that week, was to get so far ahead on Monday and Tuesday that on Tuesday after practice, I could get back to Mobile and have a full three days because Auburn was scheduled to play at LSU that Saturday. And so my goal was get everything written ahead of time. This is, I mean, this is like, you know, back in the days when you still, we, we were still centric on the, the paper itself more than we were the internet. And it was get, get it done. And I was in great shape. I had loaded up on Sunday. Uh, Sunday was a big media day at, at Auburn and they had won. So they were in pretty good mood. They played a, a, an Ole Miss team that I think they felt like was pretty good. I think they felt like, hey, we're we're in good shape here, headed to LSU, and all that stuff is a big game. Auburn LSU always a big game. It was a big game then too, and I'd gotten way ahead. Monday was a complete no access day, so I just holed up in a hotel room and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and I'd positioned myself to get done basically, where I would have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, where I might have to work an hour a day. I was I was in great shape. And that Tuesday morning, I was writing the story about Reggie Torber, his return to Baton Rouge to play against the school that really didn't offer him until the very end. And by then, he had the relationships with Auburn and blah, blah, blah. And I'm about halfway through the story, and I've got NBC up in my room, but on mute because I'm transcribing. I'm literally I'm doing the lazy journalism of writing to quotes. You know what I mean? I've got a quote, transition, quote, transition. I'm trying to get to a certain length, and I'm done. And... Uh, <laughs> I looked up and I saw what looked like one of the towers. And I've said this before. I always enjoyed the Jack Ryan books, the Tom Clancy books. And I, for some reason, thought there must be a trailer to a, a movie or something. And when I looked back up a few minutes later, it was the same thing. And I realized, no, this is something different. And the rest of that day, my only focus was, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I remember we had a press conference <clears throat> that morning, uh, Tommy Tuberville's press conference to talk about the LSU game and, and and all of that. And I can remember thinking, why are we here? Why are we doing this? They're not going to play this game on Saturday. I remember thinking that profoundly. And I can remember getting frustrated at some of the reporters who kept asking football questions. And um, anyway, I got home that afternoon, and sure enough, that, that game was not played. And my other memory about that time, so Auburn and LSU got pushed back to the end of the season. I think they played that game the first weekend of December there at Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. Auburn's next scheduled game was at Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. And I remember flying Mobile to Atlanta, Atlanta to Syracuse, and I'm on this giant plane, me and about seven people. And uh, the plane is basically empty, and you're flying into, in, into Syracuse, and um, the security at the Carrier Dome, because the, the governor of New York, uh, Pataki, I believe, uh, he was there at the uh, at the stadium that night, and it was just a it was a surreal feeling. But you're right; I remember the anthem and all of that stuff that night, and how unified we felt as a country. And in, in those days, immediately following that, you know, Bush going to the site and saying, "I hear you," and the whole country hears you, and the people who knocked down these buildings will hear from all of us soon. I can remember the emotion of that, and and yeah, it's uh it's hard to explain to people who weren't alive then what that what that was like is. It's probably like for people who, like me, who weren't alive when the Kennedy assassination happened in those days, you know, when your parents explain it to you, you you can tell it was profound and that kind of thing, but you, you didn't experience it. So it, there is a disconnect. So, Well, and it happened not in the social media boom area, era that we're in now, but it happened in the era of 24-hour news cycle. So with the CNNs and the news stations and the thing I remember the most – uh, one of the things I remember the most just after that as we kind of transition and get into some football talk, as tough as a transition as it is, is flipping the channels and there was nothing on but yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, if people don't know, even ESPN, which I don't know if they were bought by Disney at that time, the whole merger, I, I think is different. It was literally, they had ABC News, had what was on ABC News was on ESPN. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and I remember just flipping through the satellite. Now, this is surreal when you got like things like 
you know, the golf channel, the food channel, you know, all of the, you know, because a lot of them weren't owned by the different companies by then, but they had somehow, and then radio stations, which I was doing a little radio, remember at the time, boom, immediately people went to news, a news feed and it was a, it was a world. So yeah, 19 years ago. So again, thoughts and prayers. Well, Neil, we got a couple of things quickly before we get into some football talk. Remember folks, you can catch us live right now. Now, if you're listening to this as a podcast, no, 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 you're not live then if you're listening to it on the podcast. But remember, every Tuesday and Friday at 9 a.m. Central, you can watch this podcast being taped with Neil and I live. It's called SEC Football and Beyond. As we'll talk SEC football. We'll sprinkle in some other things as needed. So, But make sure you go live. You can interact with us in the chat room, You know, comments, questions, anything. So, uh I know we got a lot to talk about. I know the SEC doesn't start to September 26, but still a lot of look ahead. Remind folks, and I know, Neil, you've got a lot of great stuff going on at your place. We want to hear about LandryFootball.com, all the film room breakdowns of all the college games this weekend, all the NFL games. We got it for you, so check it out. Check out our membership. We've got a special rate for a year. You can try it out for a month. Um, so I'm, I'm deep into, obviously, the minutia of game week evaluations, film room analysis, how players graded in games. We got a taste of a first Power 5 team playing on Thursday night, but it'll be pretty quick here before we'll be talking about SEC games starting. And I know we're broke down the West um, Tuesday, and we'll get into the East today, I'm guessing. Yeah, we're going to get into the East here in just a minute. I, I didn't see any of Miami and UAB. I assume that's the game you were referencing. I, yes. I watched I watched a good bit of Chiefs-Texans and was really surprised at uh, how good the football was, how crisp the Chiefs looked on on offense. Uh, Edward Zolaire, the, the running back from LSU, who's the rookie with the Chiefs, man, I mean, he, he fits that offense absolutely like a glove. Um, Mahomes looked terrific. The Chiefs looked really good. The Texans had some moments, but the Chiefs, the Chiefs looked like a team that had just won a Super Bowl and are in contention to win another one. They were terrific last night. Well, one thing to keep in mind: same head coach, same defense coordinator, same offensive coordinator. Staff stayed the same. Special teams coach, same quarterback. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Helaire is just kind of plugged in. A lot of other weapons, but Kelsey and Hill and all those guys, Watkins, all those guys returning. When they get Nicole Hardeman, I mean, they got a lot of pieces. So they'll be really good. Texans are going through some changes. I did look at my – I watched that game as well as Miami. Miami struggled a little bit early, you know, and, and looked sloppy. They kind of settled in. De'Ara King was was really athletic, and the you got to defend them in the run game. Um, I thought defensively they really struggled early, did Miami, just in, in misaligns and – defending the screen, but they settled in and obviously won going away. And that's a good win. Uh, you beat a UAB team that's well-coached, it's physical. They were able to take care of business. So we'll, we'll see if, um, you know, I would say early on uh, there's potential for Rhett Lashley and Derek King to have a good season with this Miami offense. And um, we'll see what the defense can do. And and I think the key with Miami, Neil, has been maybe some way say historically, but I say more recently, they've been fundamentally unsound and fundamentally disciplined with their positioning, giving up big plays, giving opponents extra opportunities, lots of mental mistakes, lots of what we call negative explosive plays. They've led the country in that. That's got to, if that can go the other way, then they've got a chance to maybe turn some things around, but they're, they're, uh, they're a work in progress, but it was a good win for them uh, last night. As again, first power five team to play, and we'll have uh, quite a few of them getting underway this weekend. Yeah, a lot of football this weekend, and as you mentioned, the SEC is so today is the eleventh. So we're fifteen days away, two weeks, two weeks from uh, tomorrow. The SEC will will kick off with uh, a couple of eleven a.m. games: Kentucky at Auburn. Florida at Ole Miss. So we'll start there with the Gators, if you if you want. We'll start SEC East. It's funny to me, Chris, everyone talks about Georgia initially when you talk about SEC East. And I I, I look at uh I look at Florida's schedule 
right away. And and I look at the Gators and I say, you know what? They're pretty interesting. They've got Mullen's been there long enough now. There's a lot of continuity. Got a quarterback back in, in Trask. And uh, there's a lot of talent on that team. They open at Ole Miss, very winnable game. They get USC, uh, South Carolina in week two. Then they go to Texas A&M, home against LSU. Then Missouri, Georgia, Arkansas, at Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and then at Tennessee to finish the season. Uh, The the Gators have a really strong shot, in my opinion, of being 2-0 and kind of having some momentum and a little continuity by the time they go to College Station to play, you know, an, an interesting game there. I'll be honest. I'm. Everyone picks Georgia. I'm not sure. I'm not picking Florida in the East this year. A- am I crazy? No, I think that Florida. You can make a case as a team, quarterback, tight end, coach. How they're able to develop scheme and prepare. I, I think their chances are pretty good. Um. Georgia's got more overall talent. Um, I think the the real key to whether Florida can win it, it kind of really depends on Georgia. I mean, you you still have to look at how much progression has Florida made, and we're going to find that out when they play. Um, you know, uh, on on the November seventh, we'll see how much progress they make because really, Georgia's proven to be a lot better when they played. So we'll yeah. see that changes. I do say this, outside of Georgia, they don't take a backseat personnel-wise. LSU's talented, but they're young. They should beat LSU. I mean, Kentucky's a good team, and they, they're better than Kentucky. AM is not as talented, but again, early in the season, don't know. Florida's in really good position. I do think it, it will likely come down, and we talked on Tuesday about the COVID part of this, we just don't know what's going to happen on a given week, but Florida is better than everybody on their schedule talent wise, other than Georgia. So it may very well come down to that. Um, I don't know that. I think it's going to be tough for either one to be unbeaten. So could Florida lose a game and beat Georgia? Could Georgia lose a game and beat Florida? I mean, I think it's, it, that game is going to be that significant and so uh, I don't think it's too early to be looking at that game as as what it could be very, very important. But I do think the AM LSU stretch is going to test Florida and truly see, you know, what their meadow is and how ready they are. And I, I think that Dan does a phenomenal job. I think the coaching staff is really good. I think that they get a lot out of their team. And we're going to wait and see until December, but right now recruiting is kind of top five level nationally. We'll see that's where if they I was finish. Going. Yeah, that's where I was going. So I want to talk because they, they they don't close very well and they end up kind of 10-ish and 12-ish. So, yeah. you know, five now doesn't mean anything, folks. It's, it's you know, so we'll see if they can do that. If they get to where they're closer to Georgia in terms of personnel, then I think that's where the gap is. I think, folks, Georgia is still better than Florida. They're, they're, they're more talent. Not that Florida's not talented. And it doesn't mean Florida can't beat Georgia because in some key areas, I do, do think at quarterback in particular, Florida's in better shape going into the year. Let's let's talk about Trask. Uh, you know, he's just because he's one of the returning guys, people talk about him a little bit at the top of the league. What do you think about Kyle Trask as a quarterback, as a pro prospect, as a guy in, in Dan Mullen's system? The thing that Dan does as good as anybody, and this, the reason for his success with quarterbacks, you know, whether it's Alex Smith, the Dak Prescott, whoever he's been, he really does a great job. Other people talk about it. He really identifies what his guys can't do in the, his quarterbacks and what they can do and really does a good job of accentuating what they can do and kind of hiding them out of things he can't do. I mean, even, you know, uh, with guys that haven't been as successful, you know, at quarterback, he can get, he can't make everybody great. That's not what it's, it's about. Can you get the most out of them? And I think he's done that for the most part. I think with Kyle, I think Kyle has enhanced ability to kind of see the field, be a good decision maker, process pretty quickly, 
But the other thing that Dan does very well, he will scheme guys and keep guys off balance defensively that he plays to where he creates a lot of real safe and easy opportunities for his quarterback and his offense to have success. So you really have to adjust. He will come through something in each and every game with a really good game plan of how to attack. And if you don't adjust to it, you're in trouble. I think Kyle has developed very nicely. I mean, if you're starting to look at the top quarterbacks in this league and, you know, I kind of graded them and kind of look, I mean, who's the best quarterback in the league coming back? And, and it's, um, you know, there's, we talked about it too. The the quarterbacks kind of left. You can make a case that Kyle Trask is as good as any returning. We'll see who's the best quarterback during the course of the year. We'll chart it. We'll grade it. Do that at LandryFootball.com all the time. That's what we do. Who do you think it will be? I think Kyle has – I would probably – the two guys that are mentioned the most are the two guys that, quite frankly, I think Kyle Trask and Kellen Mond, who I'm not as high on Kellen Mond as I am as Kyle Trask, so I would go with Kyle Trask. Both of those guys have two excellent quarterback coaches. And the fact that, you know, you lose a Tua, and, of course, we weren't talking about Burrow. We were trying to determine how how does Burrow fit in last year. So maybe there's somebody else that – takes that mantle this year, but I don't, I don't think there's going to be a Joe Burrow type this year. Kyle Tress is the guy that I am most intrigued by that I think has the best chance of having uh, the best year at quarterback in the conference. All right, let's talk about Georgia. Georgia has been so close to a title, to being in that mix for, for making that next step. Um. I mean, really, you can't get any closer to a championship than they they got uh, the, the year that they lost to Alabama in the overtime. That's that's as close as you can get to a championship without winning one. They've been right there. They can't get past Alabama. This past season, they couldn't get past LSU, but nobody could. But that's a really st- strong program that Kirby Smart has built in Athens. It's loaded with talent, as you mentioned. But there is a question mark at quarterback. It's an interesting thing, Chris. JT Daniels. Transferred from USC, had the knee injury, hasn't played a you know competitive football, if you will, in a little while because of the injury. And now he's at Georgia. He's the starter. I saw that I can't remember what outlet it was, projected him as a late first round pick. So obviously there's talent there. We don't really know how much time he's had in their offense to to uh, develop some chemistry, to develop some cohesiveness with with guys that he's throwing to, guys that he's working with. Yet Here's this team with with loads of talent, but we find out pretty early with them, though. Their schedule, unlike Florida's, their schedule can get a little tricky. Yeah, they open at yeah. Arkansas, and that's a nice uh, it's a nice preseason game for them, if you will. And, I mean, no offense to the Arkansas fans, but, I mean, let's face it, that's going to be a 25- to 30-point line, likely. But then they get Auburn, then they get Tennessee, then at Alabama, at Kentucky, all of those games before they play the Gators in uh, week six, it's a much more challenging start for Georgia than it is for uh, for Florida. Yeah, it is. And that's why, you know, the first thing that jumps out at me schedule-wise is, yeah, you got to play Alabama early. And can you go in and win? I would certainly favor Alabama, uh, particularly at this stage. But it may come down to that Georgia-Florida game where whoever wins that game, you know, if, if uh, even if Florida's um, unbeaten and only loses to Georgia, Georgia would have the, the, uh, the head-to-head. I agree with you. They've got a tougher slate. And particularly early in trying to figure out the quarterback situation compounds things. JT Daniels doesn't have a lot of time in this system. But he does have playing experience in college. I don't think he's, in my opinion, he's not a top prospect. I think he's a prospect. I think he has ability. I think he's shown it. And I think that experience playing college ball will serve him well. I also think that we need to factor in where he is. This is not going to be a complex offense. Uh, this They're going to run the football, and they're going to play really good defense. I mean, they are really salty on defense. So that helps them. It carries them through. It's, it's kind of with other breads buttered. So it is a, 
an offense in which you don't have to win games for your team. You, you have to be able to you you have to win with the quarterback, not he has to win for you. And I think he's capable of doing it. I would not rule out the possibility of Dewan Mathis really being involved in this. In fact, he's going to be involved because you better have two, at least two, if not three, ready to play this year at quarterback at any position. Because of the COVID thing, right. Dewan Mathis is a very talented guy, and if they want to do some things with him to kind of unleash him, some of the things that I think they were going to do with Jamie Newman, I think that they may have some of that with with Dewan Mathis, and I think he's very talented. I think they're very capable. I don't think this this quote-unquote's Barry's Georgia. I still think I would make them the favorite because they're the most talented. But what makes it intriguing is because they do have a more difficult schedule. They do have a little bit more instability at quarterback that Florida might be a little more gelled and settled, and maybe it's enough to get it done. But at the end of the day, the end of the day, November 7th, we're going to know because it's going to come down to Florida being able to handle Georgia. And while Georgia can't get over Alabama, it's fair to say Florida can't quite match up with Georgia at this point. And until that changes, and they both might change this year, we don't know. That's the reality of it. Now, the other thing I would say about Georgia is we've seen Georgia have the stinker game. Yeah. Saw it last year. You know, um, South Carolina locked them up in tight man coverage. They really loaded the box, stopped the run, and had success. And Georgia didn't have any answers on offense. Could that happen again? I mean, could that happen somewhere along the line for them? Well, we know. You got Auburn, Tennessee, and, and Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, right? There. Then you got Alabama. And let's not eliminate the possibility on the road against Kentucky if, you, if yeah. you're going to play, you know, foolish ball. Uh, for some reason, they struggle a little bit more against Missouri than Georgia ever should. But they that's not going to happen this year, I don't think. And I don't think it's going to happen again at South Carolina either. So I agree with you. I think there's more chances of Georgia having that hiccup game, maybe even than Florida. We'll see. But I think that Georgia is still the more talented team. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it's a little bit toss up there, but I probably favor Georgia just from a roster standpoint, no other reason. And we'll kind of see how it plays out. It's going to be the game that everybody talks about. It's going to be one of those great days in sports if we if we get there, and I, I think we are going to get there. We're going to have the third round of the Masters there in Augusta. That's going to they're they're going to leave that broadcast at about five thirty six o'clock in the afternoon and go straight to uh, Alabama playing host to Georgia at Bryant Denny under the lights. It's going to be. I guess that's in sometime in October. I don't have the date right here in front of me, but that's going to be one of those days in sports where we're all like, oh, well, wow, this was, this is cool from a television standpoint. When you look at just on the football field, X's and O's, Georgia and Alabama, it's been the times they've played, it has been great games. This is that first regular season meeting in a while. I know there's a lot of football that has to be played. The whole COVID thing factors in, but we don't have crystal balls here. Let's just say for the hell of it, Georgia and Alabama are both unbeaten when those two teams get together in Tuscaloosa. What's just kind of your initial football thoughts on that matchup? Where, how close are those two programs? How close are those two teams? Well, I think Georgia's pretty close personnel-wise. Alabama's better. Alabama's you know a little bit more seasoned. But I think it may flip a little bit. Alabama may be a little bit better on the offensive line this year. I think Alabama defensively, get some key guys back and are going to be stronger because of so many young guys that they played last year. Talent-wise, I'd still give Alabama a slight edge. Where I think there's been an edge, and I, you know, I do think in those close games, Alabama's ability to adjust in-game, the ability to be able to do subtle things, um, been a little bit better. And it's it's maybe cost Georgia. So, now, Georgia's in a couple of those key games that Georgia fans just, you know, you know, handering over is, is they've got the game going their way and they've got Alabama on their heels. And so you, you keep it going and you keep the pressure. Alabama was in the position 
to have to make the adjustments because they were behind. So, and I'm not just talking about, you know, pull Jalen Hurts out and put two in. That's a dramatic one. But there are a lot of subtle things that take place that could have changed. I, I don't really, I'm not really as critical as some people are. I guess it's the coach in me that looks at some of the things that Kirby's done. I, I think I thought they adjusted very, very well in the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma and, yeah. and really schooled them. Um, and I do think they make adjustments, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. Bottom line, Neil, when you lose, well, that game I coached, you know, yeah, okay, you know, fine. You know, it's just one of those deals. Uh, I think a lot of what Kirby does is a little bit more, I mean, he takes a lot from Nick in terms of how he recruits and how he develops his whole program. I think the one thing that Nick has been able to do is be willing to expand and take chances on offense. And I think Kirby's been a little bit more reluctant to do that. Now, I think we're going to see maybe a little bit more gravitation to it. But with that said, I said this on Tuesday, Nick has not won at Alabama championship when he's kind of flied open. So I, I think there's a lot of things that Georgia does very well play great defense, run the football. They've got to be able to get more out of the offense, out of the passing game. And I think health at receiver, development there, and development of quarterbacks is something that they've got to be able to do a good job of. But if they do that, they absolutely could beat Alabama. But I would favor Alabama at this point, no question. You know, it's funny. People do that about Kirby Smart, and he he very, very clearly learned a lot from working with Saban and is in many ways a lot like Saban. But oh, yeah. You know, Saban had when he was at LSU, he had stinkers. They were known for that. You remember? Well, I, I remember covering one in 2003. Florida came to LSU in a year that LSU went on to win the national championship, and I think it was Chris Leak was the quarterback. And Florida not only beat LSU that day, they kind of embarrassed them. I mean, they dominated LSU that day. LSU had a loss to UAB once in the middle of a season. That was, kind that of, was Nick's. That was Nick's first year. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was his Louisiana Monroe. I'll give you a plug. That was his Louisiana Monroe version at LSU when he went to Alabama that first year. Yes. So you know, it, it, there's there is growth that happens as a coach, and we're about at that phase with Kirby, who's still a, a really young guy. Where I think what you just talked about, we talked about it on the first show about adaptability. This is going to be a year that we're going to start to see a little bit of of just how adaptable Kirby Smart is or is not. My guess is that he's more adaptable than people think he is. He's not afraid to bring people in. He's not afraid to bring smart people in to let people coach. Uh, they've recruited at an incredibly high level, so it, it's yes. you know they're they're right there. This is this is that opportunity for them because if they do get past Florida unbeaten, the rest of their schedule at Missouri, Mississippi State, at South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and then on to presumably the SEC championship game is is not exactly a tough tough sledding at that point they, this this could be the year that they they break through if if they can kind of survive early because like we talked about early there's, there's there's five games in a row there that are really challenging auburn tennessee alabama kentucky and florida all right speaking speaking of every year we do this with tennessee speaking of recruiting at a high level they have recruited at a high level there jeremy pruitt has uh i'll give him kudos during this uh COVID thing, they have been absolutely transparent about their numbers, about what's going on, what's happening inside their program. He appears to have a ton of confidence. They've recruited at a really high level, and every year we say the Vols are back. This is the year the Vols are back. How close to back are the Vols, Chris? Well, I, I don't look like I, I think there's a gap between where, say, Florida is and where Tennessee is. I mean, there's quite a bit of a gap, talent gap. They're, they're having a good recruiting class right now. The class is not done until December. And my uh, curiosity, just like with Florida, how can they finish? How can Tennessee finish? Because let's remember, uh, COVID has affected recruiting. Well, a lot of kids can't visit. And a lot of these guys that have committed, will they flip? Um, so we'll see how Tennessee finishes in recruiting. That's where it's going to start to change. There's definitely was an attitudinal change last year during the course of the season where people were talking nonsense stuff like Philip Fulmer is going to come out of retirement and coach this team with just Georgia state debacle and BYU, you know, blow the game. And, you know, it was a disaster. 
I think that's one of the toughest things to do. I mean, the, the, you really don't earn your stripes as a coach until you go in at halftime of a game trailing and you're losing. Okay, when you're losing, you've got your full attention of your team. And it is they're looking for answers. And Jeremy had the answers. And he righted the ship. And he got guys to buy in. And how they finished was very impressive. I think there's this assumption that because they finished that way, that they're going to start off like a house of fire and they're going to take that next step. I would hope and I would think that's what's going to happen. It's a wait and see like anything else. I think the offensive line is very good. I think they'll have a good running game. I still worry. I love a couple of guys on defense, including that outstanding young linebacker. They've got some talent, but the quarterback situation is a concern. And the overall talent level is not what it is. So I, I look at them, for example, and, and you know, they're not as good as Florida. Should not beat Florida unless, you know, again, something happens um, to, to Florida. I mean, Georgia, um, they're not beating Georgia. They're not beating Alabama. They're not beating Florida. I think, you know, um, Auburn, A&M, um, maybe even South Carolina, are the swing games that are going to determine the season. I mean, you get to me in a in a four loss season, that's not bad. You're you're in order to do better than that, you're beating somebody that quite frankly personnel wise you shouldn't beat. I think the whole key is how they play, how disciplined they are. How you know, there's I believe in Jeremy, but I also think that we just talked about growth spurt and growth we we do not Fans and media mostly do not understand that. They think, oh, this guy's awful. You hire a young guy, and he's a good coach. He's got potential, just like with Kirby. Well, I mean, that's double the case with Jeremy because he doesn't have the resources, and he hasn't been there as long. So I think anything of improvement just in terms of their play and competitiveness and not having, like, for example, if they start off slow again, well, then and you're going back to, well, what's going on? What I want and what I evaluate, and I do a lot of that in my consulting business, it's just how much does he get out of his team and his program? Yeah. And it's constantly up and down where it's starting bad, it's finishing good, it's finish, starting good and finishing bad. And it's if it's not explainable by circumstances, and this is a year where it absolutely would be, I get it then that starts to concern me. I want to see some consistency. Here's my question about Tennessee just as a program, because I think Pruitt does a really good job. My question about Tennessee as a program is if Florida's got it going, and right now they do, and if Georgia has it going, and as we just talked about right now, Georgia absolutely has it going, is your ceiling third place in that division? Yes. If they're doing it right, you're third. Sorry, Tennessee fans. Yes, there was a point where Florida and Tennessee played in September every year. And, Neil, yep. that was the game that decided the East and decided who was in the national championship. It race. was the Alabama-LSU game of, they of, were, of they recent were, years. They were both top five programs. Yes, yep. Tennessee, you could be that. But if Florida's doing it right and Georgia's doing it right, Tennessee's the third best program. Yeah the conference not necessarily the best team look there was a point i said this tuesday there was a point missouri went to two conference championships why yes they did a nice job but because florida tennessee georgia weren't doing it right so you could get there yeah you have to be you have to be positioned yeah to, to strike when the opportunity yes when the opportunity presents itself and it does not mean that you can't beat florida or beat an alabama every now and then but it just means as a, or, you know, beat Georgia. But over the course of the schedule, over the course of time, look, the Florida has more resources. Now, facility-wise, Florida's gotten behind for years. Yeah. But they've got a lot of resources. Georgia's got unbe unbelievable resources. Tennessee's trying to get there. So, look, don't want to hear that. And there are historical, you know, points you can you could point out where Tennessee has been better but if those two are doing it best you're right
then you're you're you're, you're third. It's third best as a program, not necessarily as a team on a again to give on again uh, on a year to year given situation. Which kind of leads me into Kentucky because I don't think uh, Mark Stoops gets enough credit for what he's done there. It's a program that historically is is mediocre uh, at at best, frankly. It's a program that uh, essentially has has long just asked the football program, hey, uh, just keep it interesting long enough to get to Midnight Madness. And once we get to October 15th, we'll switch to hoops full time. And thank you for your time. And uh, Kentucky football, Kentucky basketball is just, uh, it's, if you've never been to an SEC tournament in basketball, you (laughs) you don't know what I mean. If you've never been to Rupp, you don't know what I mean. If you've never been to a Kentucky game on the road, when thousands of people show up just to see the Wildcats, then you, you don't know what I'm talking about. Kentucky basketball is an institution. Kentucky football is not an institution, yet Mark Stoops has made them not only a, comp- a competitive program, but a program that's been a, and I say this politely, a borderline contender. I mean, they've been right there. They were, they played Georgia and, and lost handedly, but they played Georgia for the right to, you know, represent the East in the SEC championship game. And if you tell Kentucky fans before the season that hey you're going to be one game, one game and end for the uh, for the SEC title, you take it. That's that's a that's a win. What about that team this year? Where is that program uh, overall with with the way that Stoops has made them so stable? Well, let's put it in perspective. I think I think that Mark does as much with his program as any coach does in this league. Uh, yes, Alabama has greater resources, greater emphasis on football, greater tradition. Nobody develops a team and players better than Saban in all of the history of college football. Um, Georgia gets a lot of talent. They are very, very good. I mean, we can go down the line, the schools we've talked about. Kentucky, in finding their niche, recruiting their type of players and developing through their system, taking – you know, coaching, taking a receiver and making them a quarterback and milking as much out of it. I actually, in my opinion, gave maybe some incorrect advice because I always thought in talking with some Kentucky administrators in the past that before Mark got there, that maybe the best fit for Kentucky football would be to have a place that was basketball on grass. Uh, Not necessarily him, but a Mike Leach type of guy. That would be fun, win seven games, go to a bowl game, eight games, you know, you go to a bowl game, and that's fine. What Mark has done, he's done the opposite. He's built a great defense, physical teams. He's gone up into Ohio in the Midwest and got offensive linemen to the point where he's developed players so well that he went out and he just got a four big four-star commitment last week. On the offensive line. So now it's like, boy, that's a good place to go. They are the Iowa of the SEC. Ironically, that's Mark's alma mater. The Stoops' alma mater is all of them. Yeah. Um, that's what they are. The difference is, is at Iowa, you can contend in the Big Ten West if you have a really good year and you kind of find yourself with Kentucky Kent. So you're right. They played Georgia for the right for the East. But that came when they beat Florida for the first time in, what, Neil, was it 20-something years? So my point is, is now we have beat them for the first time in 20 years. Yeah. And now they're, well, when are we going to win the East? You're not going to win the East. You're not going to win the East. Okay, unless unless Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, or not. and, and it's, it's possible, but that's what has to happen. We're telling you, I'm telling you what has to happen for you to win the East. They can be good. They can be competitive. They can upset people. But can you do it on a year-in, year-out basis? No, you're you're, right, at, but, you're competing me, with South Carolina is who's the fourth best program in the East. I agree with you, but I'm going to ask you this because this is this is an opportunity for Kentucky. My, I, I do a show with uh, Gabe DeArmond, covers Missouri for Rivals.com, and J.G. Tate, who covers uh, Auburn. Arrivals.com. It's called Greatest Pod in the South. You can get it where you get podcasts. Um, we were talking about Missouri a little bit and how there's an opportunity. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting to Kentucky here because the Big Ten, as of this moment, is not playing. That could change. We could be talking about that in the beyond portion 
next week on SEC football and beyond. But as of this moment, the Big Ten is not playing football this fall. And if it doesn't, and the SEC does, is this an opportunity for Stoops? And, and listen, if you've never been to Lexington and you fly into Lexington in January, February, March, and you land and you look around, you're like, am I in the Midwest? And I mean that nicely. I love the Midwest. I think it's a great part of the country. When, when, when They can go recruit there now. Yes. Is it possible that Mark Stoops, who has Big Ten ties, Midwest ties, Kentucky's not far from Cincinnati and getting into you know Wisconsin and that, that part of the country, is it possible that Kentucky can strike a little bit and maybe land a handful of players who have a little, I don't know, Big Ten fatigue? Ask some questions about the Big Ten because, quite frankly now, look, the Big Ten's going to have a hard time if they don't play. They're going to have a hard time on the recruiting trail telling kids it means as much up here as it means in the SEC, as it means in the ACC. I think he's already doing it, and I think he could do it more to answer your question. But the difference is they can improve their recruiting class to where they're top 20. They're still the fifth-best recruiting class in the SEC East. That's the challenge. Yeah. They can could they compete and be as good as Michigan State and Iowa? Absolutely. Nebraska? Absolutely. That doesn't do anything for you in the SEC. It still puts you behind Tennessee, Florida, and Georgia in the East. And depending on South Carolina, we can have the same South conversation with South Carolina as we do with Kentucky, unless those three programs are not getting it done. So you need, if you're at Iowa, if you if I take Kentucky and put them in the Midwest and I put them in the Big Ten West, they can compete. They can compete with Wisconsin. They can compete with Iowa. I don't know that they're as good as Wisconsin right now, but they could compete with them. And you could make a case that they could build a program in two or three years that could win the West of the Big Ten. Yes, but they're not in the Big Ten West. They're in the SEC East. And there, so when I, if you look at recruiting rankings, which I don't get into all that, but I look at the, the classes and it's a way of a barometer to look at, you, you can, you can go up in the national rankings, but unless you're going up in the SEC rankings until Florida gets above Georgia or, you know, Georgia, then that's where you, Tennessee gets above Florida. Then that's where Tennessee is going to fall behind on a regular, well, until Kentucky can get over Tennessee, Florida, Georgia consistently, not one year, but five, six, seven years, that's when your program can become better than what you are competing against. So, yes, they can do that, but the ceiling is there just like it's there for Missouri because could Kentucky do what Missouri did and go to the SEC championship? Absolutely, but it has to have the success that Missouri had when Pinkle was there combined with Georgia shooting themselves in the foot with Mark Rick and Tennessee not getting done in Florida. So Kentucky could do the same thing that Missouri could do, maybe as good or better, but unless you get the help in front of you, that's where you are. All right. You mentioned South Carolina. Let's get to them. In a non-COVID year, I would have said, hey, Will Muschamp goes into this season on the hot seat. He's got to win. He's got to got to show some results. If he doesn't show some results, it's going to get iffy. It is a COVID year. I don't think he's on the hot seat because of financial reasons. But, Chris, this schedule for the Gamecocks is brutal. They open with Tennessee. Then they go to Florida. They get a reprieve with Vanderbilt. But then it's Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, back to back to back. Then they get uh, at Ole Miss, Missouri at home. And then they finish with Georgia and at Kentucky. I mean, I can look at this schedule and I can find – I mean, if I wanted to take the negative view, I could get them easily one and five when they go to Ole Miss. Ole Miss would be looking at them going, this is one we can get. Missouri's not a gimme. Georgia and Kentucky look like L's at the end. I mean, it's not impossible that this is a South Carolina team that's two and eight, three and seven, and Will Muschamp is – sort of saved by COVID for a year, if you will. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but you know what I'm saying? Saved, yeah. saved, saved by the pandemic. But going into the 2021 season where people say, hey, look, I mean, we like you and you, you 
you've, you've represented the program well, but we got to win. And if we fall behind, you know, Kentucky and we're suddenly competing with Missouri for fifth in the SEC East, we've got to talk about making a, making a change here. Um, and it's a great question. In fact, Eddie on Twitter asked that question about Muschamp and Mason getting a pass this year if they are poor seasons, or is there a scenario where schools will make a change? And, you know, Eddie and Neil, I, you know, my thoughts are this, uh, and we appreciate it. And you certainly uh, join us in the chat as well at twitch.tv slash Chris Landry football if you're watching this live and catch us live next week if you're watching, listening to it on a podcast. I do think it's going to be tough to fire coaches in a COVID year. One, you've got a situation where you can use it as a, a reason, which everybody's going to deal with it, but that's part of it. But I think the, the bigger issue is, are you going to be in a position financially where you're going to want to buy out a huge contract? So like got, the answer to that is no Southern miss is fine. Didn't know Jay Hobson much. That's no big deal. If you're in a situation where it doesn't cost you a lot, yeah, I think they'll probably let a coach go if he doesn't do a good job because they're not going to fire him based on this year. They're going to fire him based upon, you know what, he didn't even do things this year and it's a pattern. If you have to pay off a guy a lot of money, where are you going to get the money? Because you're financially strived and now you got to make the phone call to buy out. Now, again, what would change that? Somebody with a lot of money that says, look, I'm fed up you know, group of people, I want him out and here's the money. And if we don't do it, then I'm, you know, put, you know, we know those politics and booster factions are at work outside of that. I think they do get a buy because buying out's going to be tougher this year. Now, as far as Derek Mason, they got money issues and they got apathy issues. I don't think yeah. they really care. Yeah. So, you know, those are with Mason. But as we talked about with South Carolina, no, I think it's going to be a tough year. It may be an easier schedule than last year, though, because they don't have to play Clemson. Uh, look, I mean, it's tough. I don't think, obviously, to get by Georgia. I mean, they, they, they're going to have to beat a Kentucky. They're going to have to absolutely beat an Ole Miss. They're going to have to um, make sure that they, you know, try to find a way to win against a Tennessee. And, and obviously – you know, are I think talent, Florida, are they talented enough to win some of those games? Is the talent there to 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 win I, some of those I, mid, I middle of the pack games? I think depending upon health at the end of the year, they can go in and play with Kentucky. That's a health game. They could compete with Kentucky. You know, they can. I think Tennessee's better, but I think they can compete with Tennessee. Um, I, I, I think there's some issues. I think look, I mean, Helinski's in the mix, but I think the transfer from Colorado State's got more experience in that system with Mike Bobo. No, I, I, I would put them behind Kentucky and Tennessee, but the Kentucky game so far out, we'll see there. And we've seen them find a way to kind of, you know, work their way out. I, I, I see six losses. You see more. I mean, I see yeah, six. I, I mean, it could be seven. I mean, I, I don't see five. Five wins is one heck of a year. With this schedule, I, I think the thing you got to look at is is not just where is the program. So we just talked about Mark Stoops. I think Tennessee and I think Kentucky are big games because they're litmus test games. I mean, I don't think you got to beat Florida. I don't think you got to beat Auburn. I don't think you've got to beat LSU. Um, I think you got to beat Ole Miss. You got to beat Missouri. You got to beat Kentucky. You got to beat Tennessee. You certainly got to beat Vanderbilt. Neil, if you can't take care of business against the Missouris and the Kentuckys of the world, then where is your program at this point? Because you've been there a while. And why isn't the talent level to the point? And why isn't the development of the players that you do have not any better? Because if, the, if you know, Kentucky, we just talked about how good they are, and yet, we're kind of talking about South Carolina almost in the same vein, but we're talking about a guy that's doing one of the best jobs of getting a lot out of his program. And we're talking about a guy that probably is not getting it done. And it is probably on his way out of South Carolina. It's just a matter of time. And it may not be this year, but unless he turns it around and turns it around, meaning you better be able to hold on to fourth. I mean, you better be able to be competitive against Tennessee 
competitive against maybe Georgia in Florida. And you, you, look, you beat Georgia last year, and that's maybe fluky, but you've got to be able to do some of that occasionally. But you can't be losing to Vanderbilt. You can't be losing to Missouri. You, you, know, you can't be below those teams in the East that, quite frankly, resource-wise, you should be better. I agree. I, I don't want to name names because I want to be careful here, but I, I think there was a coach in the last cycle that kept his powder dry in large part because he thinks this was pre-pandemic, obviously. He believed South Carolina was going to be open at the end of the fall. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any. I would put them, along with Southern Cal, as as the absolute clear, you know, there's going to likely be a change. But South Carolina would have been at the very top because I think last year the support internally and the not wanting to spend the money, the outside external factors wanted Will out last year. So that answers the question on whether he's on the hot seat. The issue is just, is this the year to do it? And that may be his only salvation, and it probably gives him another year. I think so, too. A guy who's not on the hot seat is Elijah Drinkwitz at Missouri. It's year zero for him. Um, they open with Alabama. <laughs> Welcome to the SEC. Uh, then they go to Tennessee, to LSU, before they, uh, they, they get Vanderbilt there in uh, Columbia in Como on October the 17th. At Florida, Kentucky at home, Georgia at home, at South Carolina. Then uh, they get Arkansas at home. They finish in Starkville against Mississippi State. So certainly a, a difficult year zero for Eliah Drinkwitz. I'm not going to ask you a whole lot about Missouri and their ability to contend and all that because obviously they're not contending this year. But what do you think about him in terms of the fit in that program? Listen, I think he's a dynamic guy. We haven't seen enough sample size with him. He did a good job at App State. That's at a lot of infrastructure at App State for what they do and what they asked him to do, and he did a good job. It's not like he built that program, but he did a good job with what he had in the year he had. Time will tell. Can he recruit? Can he go into that East St. Louis area and get kids? Um, It's a little different dynamic. You know, you could maybe get into parts of Georgia and kids that maybe that Georgia doesn't offer, but maybe that tech does. You got to beat them out. I mean, it's all about recruiting. I think they needed a little bit more of a dynamic coach because they've got to change their profile. They've got they're from a talent level standpoint, they're way behind. And again, I think it's a I think it's a tougher job because there's the expectations because there's the thought by a lot of their fan base that, well, we can compete in the East. We, we did it when we first got in again, that's the exception, not the rule. So can you get to the point where you can be competitive and that's going to come with talent? Look, Nick Bolton is as good a linebacker as there is in the country. And in this league, uh, there's not enough players to yeah. weaken in week out. And that's going to be the key. Can he make Missouri a contender? I think it's going to be tough, but I think they need to give him time. You said it's week, week. It's a year zero. Yeah. I think he needs, I think we need to follow the recruiting cycles. I think we need to see what he can do with three recruiting classes and how well he can coach it. I think that's fair. I think he's done enough to sell himself as a really good coach. And I think he's a bright guy, but I think it's a tough job. And I think the expectations need to be tempered to some degree, but I think it's all in recruiting and we'll see what he can do. Uh, we will see what he can do. I think that it's, uh, there's, uh, I think there's a lot of similarities between Missouri and South Carolina and that there's a lot of fan base support, but I think they all believe that they should be better than maybe what they probably are in their lot in the conference. All right. We aren't going to spend a lot of time on Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's, uh, it, it it's just not going well there. I'm frankly surprised that Derek Mason is still there. I don't know whether this is a COVID year for them. You talked about finances. They have money problems. They have internal problems. They have issues. I'm a little surprised, frankly, given their stadium situation, that the SEC has not been a little more vocal in terms of saying, hey, guys, if you don't want to be here, speak up. Uh, you know, the, the grant and rights is coming up fairly soon. I anticipate a little bit of conference shakeup in Vanderbilt to me. I mean, I know they're a charter member and all of those things, but 
I have to think that conversation happens at some point because football's the cash cow, football's the bell cow, and and, and Vanderbilt right now is not committed to football. Is is can I, here's, I, I, here's, my, here's my question. Let me ask the question this way. It's easy to pick on Derek Mason, but is there anybody out there right now that Vanderbilt realistically could hire who could do much better given the lack of institutional commitment to football? No, it has to be a James Franklin type that is a it wakes up every day selling as a salesman that walks on campus because you know what? Most of the kids on campus don't even know who their name of their football coach is. They knew it, and James was able to sell it. You know, it is not about James, it's not about Derek Mason. It's not a Derek Mason problem. It's that the reason why they have to go get a Derek Mason is because they don't emphasize football enough. They don't care about football enough. They've not put in it. And let me remind folks, this is an old lesson. There was a point in time in our history where Alabama went to Dan McGeegan at Vanderbilt and hired an assistant and said, come teach us how to build a football program. Oh, my God. Yes, that happened. Okay. Vanderbilt doesn't look like anybody in the SEC. They don't they don't act like it, but they don't care. Yet they're pretty safe in the conference because of the academic support and in Nashville. But you know, they, it is it is unfair and it is not a job I would recommend to anybody because there is not the support, there's not the emphasis. So you're gonna have to be James Franklin, where you're gonna have to go, I'm gonna make it myself and I'm gonna do that. And there are very few guys that can do that and find a niche in recruiting and put together a good staff and coach it well enough. And James, although he left for a great job back home at Penn State, James was ready to go to Maryland. He was ready to go any place. Yeah. He knew he needed to make something that if he could just make something out of nothing, he was going to get out of Dodge. So it's yeah. always going to be that way, even if they find somebody they're going to be out of there. Bobby Johnson wasn't awful. Bobby Johnson did some good things, but that dried up. No athletic director. He got an athletic director. He's a vice chancellor. It's, it's, it's a mess, and it's unfortunate. And they're the sore thumb, the oddball in the conference. Yeah, it just it. They have a chance when you look at at the COVID thing and all of the things that could go could go wrong in a year. They've already had a lot of opt-outs and that kind of thing. It's it's at A&M to open it up. LSU in week two. Carolina. If they don't get out of this mix between Missouri, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State, the middle of their schedule, if they don't get a win in that triumvirate of games, and I'll tell you, I don't think they will, they could get really checked out. And then it's at Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, at Georgia to finish it. I got to tell you, Chris, if you told me, gun to my head, pick a record for them. I'm just going to say 0 and 10. I I don't see I don't see W's on that schedule. It, not, it, not a one. No, I just don't see them. <clears throat> not a one. A and COVID if if, a COVID win possibly there's not a win on that schedule. If you've got a win on their schedule, somebody out there tell me cuz there's yeah. not one. There's one that could happen a COVID win. Something really bad happens and it just it's it's not that. It's not like a couple of years ago where you had an outstanding tight end, you had an outstanding back, you had a couple a pretty good defense. Yeah. They are down from that level. They are by far the worst talent. Even Arkansas, who's rebuilding, is in better yeah, Absolutely. Team. I was going to finish with that. If I'm Hunter Juracek and Sam Pittman, I'm furious at the league office that I did not get Vanderbilt on my schedule. <laughs> uh, no, I, I seriously am. I'm Absolutely looking at right. it. I'm looking at it, going, "Come on, you know, you know, it's been a tough sled here, and you know, it's been rough, and we don't, we don't want to stretch this thing to three seasons of of no SEC wins. You should have brought Vanderbilt here and let us get one and have something to build on. But that's not how the league works, and that's not how that schedule was put out, and so. Anyway, that does it for uh, this episode of SEC Football and Beyond. Hope you enjoyed it. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from people. Really appreciate it. Share it with your friends. Uh, tell people on Twitter, on social media, whatever, that uh, that you, you've enjoyed it. Uh, we've gotten some uh, some really super download numbers for a brand new show like this. So uh, really excited about that. And we'll be back with you on Tuesday and Friday. It'll be the last week 
the last week without uh, games to immediately preview. So, that, But there will be lots to talk about. There is college football on the slate this weekend around the country. The NFL uh, has already gotten started. Week one in the NFL gets going for real on Sunday. Games on Monday night as well. So we'll have a lot to talk about here on SEC football and beyond. For Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. Talk to you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. See you soon. Awesome, man. Great job. You Numbers too. good, huh? Yeah, it was awesome. Let me get uh, I'm gonna I'm get this thing loaded real quick. I gotta right. get into another thank, one. Okay. Thank you. Take All care. Right. Talk Bye. soon. Bye-bye. Talk to you. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.